This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Welcome to the Hindu's In Focus podcast. I'm Zubeda Hamid, your host for today. The Supreme Court in a judgment this week refused to give legal sanction to same-sex marriages. The court had heard a series of petitions asking for same-sex marriage to be allowed under the Special Marriage Act of 1954. The SMA provides a civil form of marriage for couples who cannot or do not want to marry under their personal religious laws. The question before the court was this: Is there a right to marry under the Indian Constitution and is preventing same-sex or queer couples from marrying discriminatory? A five-judge bench of the court held that the SMA was not unconstitutional and could not be read down. The court held that there is no fundamental right to marry. The petitioners had also questioned the Central Adoption Regulatory Authority or CARA's regulations that prevent people in live-in relationships from adopting a child. Here again, the majority three judges refused to strike down these regulations. The central government all along had stiffly opposed any judicial recognition of same-sex marriages and had said that this was an issue that needed to be resolved by the legislature and not the judiciary. The court has put on record the central government's submission that it will form a committee to decide on the benefits and entitlements of persons in queer relationships. In effect, the court has accepted that the issue needs to be dealt with by the government. What are the key takeaways from the judgment? How did the court rule on marriages of transgender persons? Given this setback, what are the next steps that can be taken by the queer community? We discuss these issues and more with Arvind Narayan, a lawyer working in the area of human rights and LGBTQ+ rights and a visiting faculty member at the Azim Premji University. Good morning Arvind, thank you for joining us on today's In Focus podcast. Morning uh, Zubeda, happy to be there. Arvind the Supreme Court in its decision this week decided against giving constitutional validity to same sex marriages could you give us a little bit of background about this case the matter was initially filed in 2000 in the delhi high court from the delhi high court uh, before a judgment could be delivered to the delhi high court the petition was filed in the supreme court and the supreme court decided to hear the matter and they heard the matter again with a bench not of two judges or three judges but a constitutional bench of five judges so obviously they saw the significance or the importance of the entire matter and that's how the matter ended up before the uh, before the supreme court and again it's interesting to note that before the supreme court there were petitioners petitioners from across the length and, and breadth of the country and from across the spectrum of the lgbtqi community as well there were gay couples or lesbian couples or transgender people the transgender couples the intersex persons who filed petitions the other point to note is that the petitioners themselves traverse the diversity in terms of both class and caste and uh, and of course gender and sexuality in terms of we had a petitioner from bangalore okay padmashali who were overtly and expressly stated that she's from a working class poor background at the same time where petitioners who obviously who are lawyers and who, are, who had done who had some degree of in that sense high high degree of professional and uh, educational and cultural uh, achievements so that's the diversity of people who were before the court the matter comes up before a bench of five, as i indicated five judges 
The bench is constituted by Chief Justice Chandrachud and comprises Chief Justice Chandrachud. Then there is Justice uh, Justice Call, there's Justice Butt, Justice Hima Kohli, and Justice Nasima. These are the five judges who heard the matter. And uh, again, mat- the matter was argued by a range of senior counsel, right from uh, Abhishek uh, Manusingvi to Mukul Rodki to Meenakar Guruswami to Sarav Kirpal, a range of people. And to Anand Grova, a range of people really argued the uh, matter. Again, among the arguments, initially the, the frame was very, very broad. That is, is it a question for marriage equality? Yes, it was. And what are the statutes? Because again, you're looking at a constitutional court. Uh, what are the statutes under which you want recognition of uh, marriages of all persons, regardless of gender or sexual orientation? And finally, the court, not finally, initially itself, the court limited it and said that we will be looking into only one question. We'll be looking into the validity of same-sex marriages or, or marriages between all persons under the Special Marriage Act. Or put it more specifically, we'll look into the fact as to whether the Special Marriage Act is unconstitutional because it excludes same-sex couples. Firstly, the prayer was for, for the declaration of a constitutional right to marriage. Secondly, for a for a declaration, for a finding that this Special Marriage Act should be read down or read up to include the right of uh, same-sex uh, same, same couple as a transgender people to get married. That's the broad kind of a background. The government has held all along that this should be uh, something that the legislature decides and not the judiciary, correct? We discussed this when uh, the court was first hearing the matter earlier this year. And the Supreme Court has now held that the tink- that tinkering with the Special Marriage Act to bring same-sex unions within its ambit is not advisable. Explain the judgment a little bit to us. Yeah, the judgment again is a is a is a bit of a com- complex judgment uh, because, as I indicated, it's five judges, and there are four separate opinions. So that makes it a very complicated judgment, very complex judgment. There are points on which all judges are in agreement. The points on which. Uh, two judges agree with each other. There are points on which uh, there's a strong dissenting opinion. So in a sense, you have to try and parse out or find out what are the points of agreement between the judges, find out what are the points of disagreement within judges, find out what is the ratio, what the judgment actually uh, lays down. So that's the kind of a uh, task one has uh, before one. And maybe to put the broad point on which all judges agree, and maybe that might be the a good way to begin this discussion, all judges agree that there is no constitutional right to marry. All judges agree that the Special Marriage Act cannot be interpreted to, cannot be either declared unconstitutional or cannot be interpreted in such a way as to include within its framework same-sex or uh, same-sex couples or transgender couples. The reason they give for the second finding is because the, the, uh, the, the legislation, they, they say, that if we go down that route, it will amount to rewriting the entire legislation. They this not a they don't have a in principle objection to it, but the objection they do have is that it's impossible. It's impossible to rework this particular law because, as Justice Call puts it, there's a spider web of legislation. If you tamper with the Special Marriage Act in terms of include within it the right of same-sex couples to marry, which means then you will end up through the back route introducing all kinds of dilemmas with respect to the, the personal law, all kinds of dilemma with respect to how how the, the rights of women are safeguarded vis-a-vis the rights of men, 
the the fact that the the different ages of marriage for men and women simple point if uh, if under the special marriage act you have to be to get married you have to be a woman of the age of 18 and a man of the age of 21 so what then happens to a couple who's two men is it then 21 two women is it then 18 then if it's a transgender person and 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 a, and a woman what then uh so all these complications that's just one example so they they go down the route saying that it's almost impossible or it is impossible to work to rework this law therefore we will not declare the special marriage act uh un- unconstitutional that's the second point they agree on the third point all judges actually agree on is the idea that uh, transgender people again maybe put it in a narrow sense some transgender people have the right to <coughs> right to marry not just under the special marriage act but on all marriage laws including the hindu marriage act islamic law etc and the way they arrive at this particular conclusion is to say that a transgender person again defined very narrowly which is a male a male person transitions to being a female has a right to marry a man similarly a male to female transgender person a male to female transgender person has right to marry a man and a female to male transgender person has to right to marry a woman so you get the the dynamic is this as long as you preserve the heterosexuality it's not a problem as long as the transgender person transitions fully from one gender to the other gender they have all the rights which heterosexual which heterosexual people have and to be exercised in a heterosexual context so that's the that's the broad kind of a uh, right which which all judges actually recognize okay that now let's look at the areas of disagreement where the judges actually uh, disagree the judges disagree on the what what uh, justice chandrachot puts forward is perhaps the next best option okay fine we don't have the right to marry we don't have a fundamental right to marry we don't have uh, a right under the special marriage act then what 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 rights do you actually have Justice Chandrachot Chandrachot goes down the route of saying, "You read the Constitution, read Article nineteen one C, talks about the right to form associations, and he says the right to form associations includes the right to form intimate associations. So if you have, a, if you if you establish a long lasting bond or a bond with another human being, uh, that's a part of your right to association. It's a part of your right to life." a part of right to conscience so that's the that's the that's the line that he goes down and uh, if you have that right to form an association then surely there must be some kind of a recognition of the of the of these rights through a legal framework which means then the state must enter and the way he puts it the committee must be set up by the central government and they must look into the question of uh, what are the rights which accrue to you when you are in such an intimate association or a union what are your rights to form a joint bank account what happens in case your partners is is ill and can't make decisions and you have to make a decision on his or her behalf in the medical context uh, what happens in the case of injury what happens in the case of uh, workman's workman's compensation who who is entitled to benefit of uh, benefits in case in case your partners partners injured etc so he says the committee should be set up look at all of this again it sounds like a, in some ways it's a it's a next best option it's not marriage but something and you'd imagine that some it's a point in which maybe there'll be a greater level of consensus but actually the only judge who joins him in this opinion is uh, justice call 
and Justice Call's opinion again seems to be that uh, he says that see the we recognizing the right to a union, but we understand that union is only one part one part of the story. It's a part of a journey, and we know that at some point you will get to the question of marriage. But this is what we can grant or recognize as of now. But of course, the tragedy being that uh, in this recognition of this particular right, Justice uh, Sandeep and Justice Call uh, are in a minority. The majority, which is actually led by a very strong and very vociferous dissent on this point, I wouldn't say dissent, it's the majority opinion, is led by Justice Butt and Justice Kohli, joined by Justice Nasama. And they take the viewpoint that, uh, sure, you have a right to form relationships, you have a right to be with anybody you want, you have a right to live with that person, you have a right to do anything you want. That's your constitutional right. It existed under Nafej Dohar. It existed under the previous jurisprudence of the court. There's no, there's no denying that. But we can't recognize a particular right, uh, a new right as far as the association is concerned. Why we can't recognize it, again, gets to a bit of a difference between justice and children and justice. Uh, but we can't recognize it because the role of the court is not to get into the question of, of, of building or encouraging the state or mandating the state to build a facilitating legislation. That's what the state should do. If they haven't done it, they haven't done it. You are pressurize them using other means. We can't get into that. That's the difference between justice, uh, uh, the majority and the, and the minority in this case. The other point where Justice Chan should tries to say that, you know, okay, fine, you don't have marriage. You, you have the right to union or form unions. And you also have the right to adopt. He doesn't phrase, frame it as the same-sex couple's right to adopt, but he frames it more generally. He says that the CARA guidelines, which say that unmarried couples can't adopt, should be read down because they are unconstitutional, because they disproportionately impact couples in, in same-sex unions because they can't get married. They've been living together for a period of time. And you say that adoption is, barred, is, is, is a right which only married people have. Then there's a discrimination. So he says, no, that's a right. You must have, right? And so he goes down that particular route. Justice Call joins Justice Chandrachand, uh, but Justice Butt again vehemently disagrees. Joined, of course, by the uh, by Justice Kohli and Justice uh, Rasima making that a majority opinion. Justice Butt's opinion, you see, we can't mandate the state, we can't read down this particular legislation because we don't want to second guess why the, why the state framed this particular uh, rule in this, this, this fashion. We think there might be some logic to the fact that only married couples are entitled to adopt. There might be some reasoning underlying it. We don't want to second guess the state. At the same time, this is again a point of unity as far as all the all the all the judgments are concerned. I think we have no objection. The state does come up with a legislation to pro- grant protection to couples, same-sex couples, in in such relationships. But it's up to the state to do it. We can't do it. His entire uh, uh, point throughout is to say that this is fair, it is just, it is right, but we can't do it. Let the state do this particular, uh, if the state wants to, take this particular uh, step forward. So, again, if you have to just summarize, maybe I'll just one line to I'll summarize this 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 point and, and leave it at that, is the, the judges are united in not recognizing a fundamental right to marry, Judges are united in saying that the, we can't tamper with the SMA. The judges have uh, the majority opinion 
is also very clear that there's no there's no right to form a union. The majority opinion is also very clear that there's no right to adoption. So that's the that's frame frame of the entire judgment. One more point, again, which is a minority opinion, which is by Justice Chandrasekhar, but important to note is uh, he he makes okay maybe this is not a minority point. Again, this is a point of unity actually. All the judges uh, there's a strong section where Justice Chandrasekhar points out to the fact that actually uh, queer people exist in all strata and all all dimensions of society. They're from the most marginalized to the most elite. So it makes no sense to dismiss queer people and the question of the rights of queer people as an elitist phenomenon because it's not an elitist phenomenon. It traverses the spectrum of society. And again, to get back to the petitioner, our petitioner from Bangalore, Akhya Padmashali, who made an open statement that she's a working class transgender person. So that's the point again of, uh, as far as we're concerned, the unity as far as both the uh, both, uh, judgments are concerned. So the dissent is really on these two questions. On the question of, uh, that is the, the minority says you have the right to union and right to adoption. The majority says you don't have the right to union, you don't have the right to adoption, you don't have the right to marry, and you don't have the right to, and the SMA can't be changed. So that's the majority-minority kind of a distinction. And the broader frame, of course, you want to put the slightly more broader frame, is uh, you none of the judgments are overtly hostile as far as LGBTQ people are concerned, uh, all of them are broadly sympathetic and empathetic. They all agree that, you know, LGBTQ people should have rights. What those rights are, are rights very much short of marriage and, and, and with the question of union as far as Justice Chandrasekhar and, uh, and Justice Call is concerned. As far as Justice uh, Butt and the two other judges are concerned, what the right you have are your rights under 21, which is the right to lead the, your life in the way you choose to live right to form relationships if you choose to, right to live together if you choose to, right not to be harassed by the state definitely, but uh, we will not grant any further directions on this point. Thank you, Arvind. That was a, that was a very uh, detailed and clear explanation of what the court has said. Um, and so the court has now directed the center, as you said, to set up a committee, correct, under the chairp- uh, chairpersonship of the cabinet secretary to examine the concerns uh, and to f- and to figure out whether a regulatory framework of some sort uh, can be come up can come up with. Um, however, the court has not mandated any timeline. It hasn't uh, said that the, this this particular committee's uh, recommendations will have to be accepted, etc. So, does it stop short of actually uh, being mandating these things? Yeah, that's a good question. See the the. It's been framed in very general terms. The state shall uh, constitute a committee as per the undertaking of the of the of the solicitor general under the direction of the cabinet secretary, as you rightly indicated. When, what, etc. Not clarified as far as the uh, judgment is concerned. If you go back to uh, earlier point in time, 2018, the Navtej judgment, and on the decriminalization question. There as well, the uh, Justice Narimana has sent a direction where he said that the state shall, the central government and the state government shall, using all the media at their disposal, give wide publicity to the principles underlying this particular judgment. Right, and we know that no state government and the central, no central government and and the central government have not, you know, have not taken this directive seriously. They've just ignored it and let it uh, bypass it as it were. So in that sense, 
will the state do this? It seems, I think you'd be right to indicate that it seems unlikely unless there's a way in which one is able to put some level of a, uh, create some level of a public pressure on the state saying that the committee uh, should be constituted and the state listens to you. But again, the state was, uh, if we know, if even if we see the context in which that, that undertaking came up, it was not an undertaking which was came consensually or came in a sense of, you know, of the state voluntarily saying that this, it was voluntary, of course, but the state did not uh, come forward with the imperative that we want to protect the rights of queer people. The state was finally pushed to that position by the by the bench itself, by the state finally recognized the fact that this one way out is to constitute this kind of committee. That's what the court may be uh, happy with. So if you ask, do we have hopes that the committee will be set up? Not unless the, there's a level of extraordinary pressure which is applied upon the central government. Arvind, while you were explaining uh, the court's judgment to us, you talked about the fact that the uh, majority opinion was that the court simply cannot interfere in what is clearly the realm of the legislature. But is this particularly fair given the fact that the court has, over the course of several years now, really broadened the definition of Article 21? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Because again, the uh, this is in fact a, a part of the the disagreement between Justice Chandrachud and Justice Butt. Justice Butt puts forward the position that it's completely fair, that uh, we have not, uh, we have never laid down complete law as it were. We've always, in a sense, compelled the the working of an existing policy or existing framework as it were, not, not asked to create something from scratch. We've never done that. That's the line that he he goes down. Justice Chandrachud, on the other hand, takes a slightly broader viewpoint, saying that, of course, you know, we have at many points in time created rules and, and regulations to fulfill your your, right under, your rights under 21. Again, he says 32, Article 32, your right to issue writs. It's a very broad framework, you know. It's writs uh, in the nature of habeas corpus. So it doesn't stop with that. So you can have a much, you have, the court has the power to do a range of other ma- other things as well, the way he the frame he adopts in terms of the in terms of the your power under Article Thirty Two, and there's a distinction between there's a there's a difference between both judges, where Justice Chandrachud takes the viewpoint that the the state's responsibility, as well as fulfilling fundamental rights, is not just a negative right; it's also a positive right. That is, you have the state as a as a as a obligation to create conditions. Which allow for allow for the for the exercise of fundamental rights. Whereas Justice Butt's opinion is state has no such obligation. You don't have the obligation to create conditions for the exercise of fundamental rights. It's a it's a narrower reading of what the obligation of the state vis-a-vis uh, the fundamental rights domain is. Obviously, we are inclined more towards the viewpoint of Justice Chandrachud, saying that you know surely in a in a country such as India, where you state the obligation. Uh, should be both positive and negative. And we can find support as reading for that, both in terms of the reading Article 32 and the idea of what the power under it, Article 141, the right to part to do complete justice. So there's a way in which you can see Justice Butt's opinion as a far more conservative. That's why Justice Chandrachud in fact raises it. It's a very conservative and a very narrow reading of what the powers of the court actually are. Arvind, now what would be the next steps in terms of uh, how can this be taken forward some more? We know that 
the court has directed the center to form a committee, but there is no timeline given. We don't know when or if this is going to happen. If not this, then what next? Yeah, see, the the, the couple of possible uh, avenues as far as the way forward is concerned. One is the entire question of the the obviously the route which they which is being indicated through this entire judgment is you have to go through more of a legislative route as compared to a judicial route. So I think that's the direction in which the struggle or the movement will have to go. And that will have to involve the the larger uh, process of building a political opinion as far as this question is concerned. And we have a colleague again in, in Bangalore, Akai Padmashali, who's been very strongly advocating that the entire question of LGBTQ rights, how can parliament even decide if there are no LGBTQ people in parliament? So the question of parliamentary representation is an issue we must start raising in a far stronger way, saying, hey, you know, we need to be there in the in both in parliament and in the legislative uh, assemblies. The second point would be that uh, since all five judges are very clear that there's no bar on the state government or the central government enacting a law either on unions or on marriages. In fact, it is the, all five judges are very clear that it is the domain of the government because of the complicated web of laws, spider web of laws. They have the obligation or the responsibility to enact such a law. So then the point becomes very clear. Then it's our role or our responsibility then is to start building that kind of a pressure on either uh, state governments which are sympathetic to the entire question or the central government to introduce a law on the entire question of marriage equality for all persons. Last question, Aravind. Last time in our podcast, we had discussed how other countries had gone about this regulating the question of marriage, for instance. Um, and in our case as well, now that this committee is supposed to be set up to, to look into this, what is the route do you think could be the way forward? Could there, Does there need to be a separate law for civil unions, specifically for same-sex couples that does not interfere with the SMA? What have other countries done in this regard? Yeah. See, the other countries don't have this uh, the complicated uh, spider, spider web of laws in the sense they don't have personal laws and they don't have the question of, you know, of each uh, of the, the fact of... Uh, of different ages of marriage for men and women and they don't have a range of complications such as this. So one way forward might be a separate law uh, as far as the uh, LGBTQ uh, community is concerned. The other way forward might be when this debate, as this debate progresses on the entire question of the Uniform Civil Code, to to not to, to rework that debate, not as a debate on the Uniform Civil Code, but as a, as a debate on a gender-just code, right? So if you have a gender-just code, which in a sense guarantees the same rights to all persons. All persons entitled to get married at the same age, which is 18 or 21 as the case may be. All persons are entitled to the same rights on, as far as uh, the grounds of divorce, as it were. All persons are entitled to, to enjoy the same rights during the, during, during the substance, substance of, a, of, a, of a marital uh, relationship. So that might be one debate in which one can, uh, one can, one can think of putting forward a different viewpoint, a different viewpoint, not on the grounds of, you know, we're interested in uniformity, we're interested in equality, we're interested in gender justice as a, as a code, you know, as a, as a code which governs marriage uh, succession and relationships of, of that nature. One other point maybe, see the, the route which was tried by the minority in this case, which, didn't, which came up short, 
is the root of uh, unions, civil unions. And again, historically, that's one way to think about it. Civil unions have always been a way, one one step forward, which doesn't raise the hackers of society in a broader way. So civil union is something which, you know, which, uh, which generally has a level of, uh, it's an easier ask in that sense as compared to marriage. So again, would that be another route to go down? Say that, you know, you, you, you see if you can again push for the idea of a civil union through, for example, through a legislative route, you know, even if you can't touch the entire question of personal laws and etc. Start with the idea of a civil union. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Arvind. No, welcome. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.